Well, the next aspect of a disciple's life, last few weeks we've been doing this Back to Basics series, and I really encourage you guys, if you've missed any of the sessions, please go to our website, okay, awakenlife.co.za, and listen to the messages you've missed. It is a series of messages, very important, basic foundational principles, uh, things that disciples need to do, basic stuff, but it's important stuff principles and actions of disciples. And today we're looking at faith. In fact, today we've sung a couple of songs about faith. And we had some songs which spoke about strong faith, people being strong in their faith, and some songs talking about the fact that sometimes we are weak, but he's strong. Our flesh may be weak, but he's strong. And sometimes in our life, there are days we feel like spiritual giants, you know. Other days we feel like, yeah, I'm not so sure. The fact remains that he remains a good God, a great God, and we can trust in him, and he enables us and takes us through life's ups and downs. And so we're going to be looking at the matter of faith today, maintaining faith, growing faith, because faith is a central part of the disciple's life. Faith is what got a disciple going in the first place. You know, you become a disciple of Jesus by putting your faith in Jesus. You decide to follow Jesus, to believe in him as your Lord and Savior. It is faith that keeps you going in this life. It is faith that enables us to face the trials and tribulations of this life. And it is faith that is ultimately going to take us right into the presence of Jesus. We will see him face to face. Amen. So faith is vital and we need to know a little bit about faith. Faith is one of the big three. Then in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, at the end he speaks about the big three. Now remains faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because you see, love is not an emotion. You've just had Valentine's Day on Friday. How many of you are blessed in Valentine's Day? I don't want to embarrass you guys. It's okay. But the fact is this, that, you know, we, we talk about love. And very often in Valentine, we talk about the emotional kind of love. Oh, you my Valentine. <laughs> I get butterflies in my stomach, you know. But the fact is, love is more than an emotion. <laughs> in the Bible, love is a person. And in the Bible, love is something you do. It's not only something you feel. Hey, it's okay to feel love, okay? But it's not only something you feel, it's something you do. And God is love. The creator of this universe, God doesn't have love. The Bible says God is love. And, and you see, love is the reason for our faith. Love is the reason for our hope. That's why there is faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest because when I don't need faith anymore and when I don't need hope anymore, love is still going to be there. There is always going to be love because love is a person. Love is the God of the Bible. So what is faith? Let's look at the word faith, first of all, the word faith. It means to trust in someone's ability or knowledge. It means to trust that someone or something will do what has been promised. When you, when you go to the stores and you buy an appliance, you've got faith that uh, that, produ- that guy that made it, uh, that, that whatever it is, is going to do what it is supposed to do. When you come home, plug it in, and it doesn't work, what happens? How do you feel? <laughs> okay? And, and you, 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 you have faith. I'm paying for the stuff. I'm taking it home. It's going to work. You plug in, and you expect it to work. Somebody makes you a promise, you expect the person to 
take it through because you have faith in that person's word. And so that is the general sense of faith. We, we say things like, I have great faith in you. I'm sure you're going to do well. <clears throat> Always say things, I've lost faith in the government's promises. Always say things like, her friend's kindness restored her faith in the human race. You know, so that's the way we use the word faith in, in the language. The word faith also means a religious belief, a set of beliefs that you've got within certain religions. And it also means a particular religion. You can refer to the Christian faith or the Hindu faith or the Muslim faith. So those are the general applications of the word faith. So in that general sense, everybody has faith. Okay? Because everybody believes in something. And even if somebody believes in nothing, that's his faith. Because he believes in nothing. Hello? So everybody has faith in something. Or in nothing. (laughs) And that's the general sense of the word faith. But when it comes to the faith as spoken of in the Bible, we need to understand what the Bible means by faith. Biblical or Christian faith is a confident trust in the revelation of God. In the revelation that God has given us of himself through his word, through the Bible. It is a revelation which has been coming over hundreds of years. And he's been revealing himself, revealing himself. And it is all written down in this book called the Bible. We have a a key scripture in the Bible concerning faith, and I want to read it to you. It's Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Wow. In other words, the substance. You know, it's like if I had it in my hand, I'm hoping for it, but it's as if I've got it already. It is the evidence of something not seen. All right? So, this is, is, it's a confident, faith is a confident trust in God, in who he is, in what he has promised. Faith gives substance to my hope. I'm hoping that God's going to do certain things in my life. And faith is what gives substance to that hope. Faith is the proof of things I do not see, but I know that they are there. I speak about heaven. I preach about heaven. I talk to people. You believe in heaven. I believe in heaven. We talk about heaven. How many of you have been to heaven lately? So how can I be so confident about it? You see, my faith is the proof of what I don't see. But if you go to the word of God, you begin to read it. And you, as, as you trust what the word of God says, that faith begins to be established because you realize that God has... Is true to his word. And you begin to read history. You read the life of Jesus. You realize that everything he said he did. He died. He came back to life. He's alive. There is proof about that. You begin to see that God can be trusted. And the more you learn about God, the more you trust him. And your faith is strengthened. So that is. So what does faith mean? Faith means having the confidence that God can be trusted. I, I, I've got some, some people, some friends in my life, and I know if they say something, I can count on it. I don't have to phone and check up. I don't have to say, are you sure? I know it's going to happen. 
Then there are people that I know, that I know when they say something, I must put a big question mark next to it. Because it may or may not happen. Why? Because over time, there has been a track record being built. And so some people I know I can trust. Some people I've got big doubts. I don't love them less. I just don't have my faith in everything they say. You understand? And so it is now with our relationship with God. You need to come to that point where you say, you know what? I don't care what God says. I believe it. And it doesn't matter what God, what God tells me. I'm going to do it. I may not understand it. But I will do it. Is that right? That is developing faith in God. It's having the confidence that God can be trusted. Do you have faith? Huh? Do you have the confidence that God can be trusted? Now, God is not only faith, but he is faithful. The, word, the, the Greek word for faith can also be translated faithful. All right? And so if you have faith in God, if you have trust in God, you will also be faithful to God because God is faithful to us. And so we, as we put our faith in him, some of him begins to rub off on us and we become faithful, not just to him, but to others as well. In our relationships, to our spouses, uh, and so forth, we become more and more like him because we've got our faith in him. Amen? Now, Often when you talk about the gospel to people, people say, ah, we all worship the same God. There's only one God. There's only one God. And we all worship the same God. Now that sounds pious. It sounds nice and holy. sounds very religious. But is it true? Do we all worship the same God? So look, look at the phrase. There is only one God. We all worship the same God. Well, that second part is not true. We do not all worship the same God. But what about the first part? There is only one God. Is that true? Uh-huh. Well, you see, you have to go one step further. What do you mean by there is only one God? That first part can be true or not. It depends on what the person means. What do you mean when you say there is only one God? What do they mean when they say there is only one God? <clears throat> if you ask a Hindu, you know, what does there is only one God mean? Well, to the Hindu, they believe the ultimate reality is Brahman. Now, Brahman is an omnipresent, omnipotent, but very impersonal deity. They believe there's only one God, Brahman, is impersonal, he's distant, and out of him, hundreds, thousands of gods come out, but they all find the unity in him. So they believe in a bunch of gods, which ultimately go back to Brahman, a very impersonal God. So the Hindu view is an all-inclusive view, the more the merrier. When missionaries started doing work in, uh, missionary work in India, or let me put it this way, a certain evangelist went to India and started preaching. And every night he would preach and make a call and hundreds of people would come forward to receive Jesus. After about the second or third night, the other pastors told him, sir, you, you make a mistake. He says, what do you mean? It's wonderful. People are coming to Jesus. He says, no, they're not. You see, they are Hindus. They already have over a thousand gods. If you ask them to receive one more, hey, it's just one more. Let's just come together, you know. You see, for a Hindu, if you want to, if you, thank you very much. If you want to uh, talk to a Hindu and invite him to come to Jesus, you've got to invite him to come to Jesus to the exclusion of all the other gods. 
Because the God of the Bible doesn't stand together with all the other gods. And so the following night, as he preached, he made an altar call. And he said, how many of you are willing to put your faith in Jesus Christ alone? To the exclusion of all your other gods. Well, only two or three people came forward. Not hundreds. Because it's a different story now, you see. So some faiths are all inclusive. If you ask a Muslim, is there only one God? Moses says, of course there's only one God. And Muslims believe there's no other God but Allah. Alright? And Allah is absolutely one. And the assigning of anything else as God is a heresy, is a big sin. And so our idea of a God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit to the Muslim, it is heresy. Because there's only one God. It's a very exclusive view. But to the Christian, according to the Bible, if you ask a Christian, is there only one God? They're going to say, yeah, there is one. Christians believe in a biblical revelation of the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, but as one. They live as one. They speak as one. They are united. They are so united that when you see one, you see the other. And it is impossible to blend the Christian revelation of God with any other religious view of God. The Christian view is also very exclusive. And it cannot be blended with everything else. So when you say, is there one God? You need to understand, what are you talking about? Who is your one God? Are you talking about Allah? Brahman? Buddha? Uh, who, who is your one God? Because my one God is the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Revealed to us in the word of God, the Bible. Jesus Christ is my Savior. He took my place in the cross. He paid for my sins. And I believe in him as my Savior. Now, is that your God too? Understand? So we have to understand who is this God. Now, faith is not private. Again, when you when you, you often hear people say, oh, I, "I have my faith. I have my faith." You know, it's, it's a very private, very personal thing. Your faith is not private nor personal. If I spend enough time with you, I will know what your faith is. Spend enough time with anybody, and they will reveal their faith because your faith governs everything you do. Your faith dictates your behavior, your language, your beliefs. And so if I spend enough time with you, I'll begin to pick up. Ah, this guy is this, that girl is that. It will show. Because your faith, whatever it is that you believe in, will affect, will color everything that you do. So, our definition of faith in terms of the Bible is this. I confident trust in God, in the God of the Bible, as revealed in the Bible. Everything the Bible reveals about God. A believer, a Christian, trust. And that is faith. Okay? Now, why is faith important? Well, you cannot please God without faith. Did you know that? Without faith, you cannot please God. Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That he exists. That he is truly God. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus said, seek and you will find. And when you've got faith in this God and you seek him, you will find him. And he rewards us for our faith. Can you believe it? <laughs> okay. And as you read the Bible, you, you realize that there's going to be a, a, a season or a time in eternity where we are going to be rewarded for our faith. And for the fruit of our faith. And so if you believe that God exists and you are seeking him, well, you, you're pleasing to God. 
What else? Without faith, well, you cannot even be a child of God. Galatians 3.7 says, says that you know that only those who are of the faith are sons of Abraham. In that context, he's talking about being saved by faith. And he makes reference to Abraham. He was, Abraham lived before the law, he, he, before the people of Israel existed. And God called him a, his child. God gave him favor. God justified Abram only because he believed. And he says, now us in the New Testament, when we believe, we, like Abram, are the children of God. And so we need faith for salvation. We need faith to be saved. John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Now the word there, believe in his name, the word believe is the Greek word for faith. And so those who have faith in God, he gives them the right to become children of God. Now are you confident that God's word is true? Do you believe what the word of God says? Are you a child of God? How do you know that? Well, I simply say, because it says so. <laughs> it is written, and I believe. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for me. Is that all? Is that is, as easy as that? Yes. Don't you have to do something? Don't you have to go on your knees for a kilometer or you know, beat yourself up or pay some money? You know, it can't be as easy as that. It is as easy as that. Jesus paid the price. And sometimes people struggle to believe the simplicity of the Bible. But you see, this simple kind of faith, simply believing, having the confidence that God can be trusted, trusting his word. When I say, I know I am a child of God, I'm not being funny, I'm not being proud, I'm not being arrogant. I'm simply aligning my thinking, my will, my voice, my, my speech to what God says. Because I'm confident that if God says that those who receive Jesus will become children of God, well, I have received Jesus. Therefore, I have become a child of God. I don't always be, behave like a child of God. But that's not the point. The point is my faith has made me a child of God. And God is working on me. Now and then he has to give me a clap or two to get me back in the way. But it doesn't change the fact I am a child of God. And you? We need that confidence. Need to know. Well, why do we need faith? We need faith to walk daily by it. We walk by faith. You know, we read just now that just shall live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So every day I need faith. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, the world is always bombarding us with news, with events, with things happening all the time. And we have to be very, very careful that we don't put our faith in what goes on in the world and what the world says. Every, you know, we are now what, February? We're almost in winter. In about two months' time, you're going to hear it. The world's going to be saying, it's flu time. Get ready. Well, what are you going to believe? What the world says or what the word of God says? I am the God that heals you. Are you going to succumb and prepare yourself for the worst kind of flu? And Now, listen, nothing wrong with taking precautions. That is wise. Viruses do exist, hochas do exist, sickness does exist. And so, take your shots, eat healthy, you know, and, 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 and. But do not have the mentality, oh no, here it comes. I'm going to be another whole month in bed again. <laughs> no. Say, I'm resisting this in Jesus' name. And if that thing comes, as quick as it comes, it's got to go in Jesus' name. 
and you fight that thing. Hello? So are you going to trust in God or trust in the world? So (laughs) we walk by faith, not by sight, not by what we see, not by what is happening around us. We don't, we don't live by the standards and trends of the world, but by the word of God. In 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Faith in God means we do not have faith in the world, trust in the world, or behave like the world. Do not love the world. A person who loves the world, it shows that he or she has no true religion. They are living according to the world. Their characteristic is he loves the world and he wants everything the world has. He's got no thought for eternity, no thought for spiritual things. And so he says the the love of the Father is not in him. Therefore, if you have faith in God, you align your life, what? To his will and to his ways, not to the will and the ways of the world. Is that okay? So it's okay, yeah? We need faith for spiritual warfare. There is always a spiritual battle going on. And faith is part of my spiritual armor. Ephesians 6, 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. When, when, when doubts attack, when you get challenged, when people want to challenge your faith and challenge you, when the devil whispers rubbish in your ears, you're not worthy, you're not this, you're not that, who are you going to believe? Are you going to use faith as a shield? In other words, your confidence in God, in what he says, that becomes my shield. When stuff comes against me from the world or from the devil, I listen to what the word of God says. My confidence is not there in what they say, but here in what the word of God says. I believe in that. 1 Peter 5 Nine, eight and nine says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Folks, he's not a roaring lion, but he's a good imitator. He can roar just like a real lion. All right? His, his idea is to roar and, and get you to get a fright and, and, and to kind of run away and become his prey. Is looking for he who he may devour. Like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He's only going to devour those who believe in his lies. Who believe that he's actually a lion. He's not. What does the Bible say? Resist him. Steadfast in what? In the faith. Resist him. Confident in what God says. Resist him. Trusting in God. Resist him with your confidence in what God says. I am who God says I am. Not what he says I am. I have what God says I have. Not what the devil says I don't have or should have. Hello? So we resist the devil with our confidence in God. Amen? We resist the devil by standing steadfast in our faith. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Our confidence in God in what, in what he says. Believing what he says. Doing what he says. Saying what he says. Living like he wants us to live. Amen. So how does faith come then? If faith is so important, how do I get faith? Well, in two occasions, the disciples asked Jesus 
to increase their faith. In both occasions, Jesus said, if they have the faith, the size of a mustard seed, it's a tiny little seed. He says, if you've got the faith as small as that, you could say they could move mountains. Obviously, it is an allegorical statement. Don't go down now speaking to Mahalisberg now. Okay? But he's saying, with faith in your heart, you can move mountains out of your way. Problems, situations, you can speak to these things and you can move them out of the way if you have a little bit of faith. We must just apply it. We must stay confident in God. Live by his word. Remain steadfast. There are so many testimonies of people who have surpassed incredible circumstances because of their faith. People have been persecuted. People have been, I don't know, you name it. They've suffered. People put in prison for their faith. And they remain steadfast. And they overcome simply because of their faith. Because of their confident trust in what God says. They remain believing. And so... It starts there. One time the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. One of the times that they asked him is when Jesus <laughs> spoke about forgiveness. And, and, and Peter, trying to be holy, said, hey, Jesus. He said, okay, if I forgive this guy like seven times. And Jesus said, oh, Peter, are you joking with me? Not seven, my boy. Seven times seven. Every day. And Peter said, What? Give me faith, Lord. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. You see, it's very hard for us to do certain things that Jesus says. And forgiving is one of them, isn't it? Uh, you see, the whole world teaches us, if somebody smacks you once, you smack them twice. Come on. You take revenge. You get equal. You get even. Well, that's the way of the world. Imagine if Jesus had behaved that way on the earth when people began to persecute him. What did he do? He forgave them. And he taught us a different way, the way of love and of forgiveness. And so the guy says, hey, Jesus, give me faith because I don't know if I can do this. And it's true. There are some things God asks us. I don't know if I can do them on my own. That's why I need faith. I want to put my faith in him. Then he comes alongside me. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he helps me to do the things I sometimes don't want to do. But as I lean on him and I trust him and I'm confident, he helps me to do that kind of stuff. He'll help any one of us if we will trust him and put our faith in him. Faith is surrendered to God and his word. And therefore, the word of God is central to having faith in God. Faith comes by the word. That is our primary source of faith. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, which is the Bible. That is our primary source of faith. Faith. The word of God, the words of the Bible, they feed our soul. They feed our spirit. In the Old Testament, through the prophet Isaiah, God said, Incline your ear to me and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. Isaiah 55, 3. Hear and your soul shall live. That's what the devil wants to keep people away from church. Away from hearing the gospel. Away from conversations about the Bible. He wants to keep you from reading your Bible. And from spending time in the word of God. Because the more time you spend in the word of God, the more faith you're going to have. And when you make yourself and you come to church, the devil says to you, okay, now it's a good time to close your eyes and have a nap. Sleep now. Have a good sleep. Sleep, sleep, sleep. So nice to sleep in church, isn't it? So peaceful. 
All he's trying to do is to steal the word from you. Because the word in you produces faith. <laughs> okay? As we fill ourselves with the word, our mind is renewed. Our spirit is strengthened. Our faith is fed. And it grows. If we don't spend time in the word, our faith becomes weak. And we begin to place our faith in other things. In other things you are listening around us. Some people say they have no faith, but that is not true. Romans 12, 3 says that God has given to everyone a measure of faith. And so you can take that measure of faith, whether it's big or small, you can stay, start with that, and you can edify and build your faith. Now, faith grows by applying the word. So you hear the word, that's important. Faith comes by hearing the word, but not just hearing, applying the word. James 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So you can't just sit and it's wonderful to sit and to listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Now, go and do it. <laughs> and as you do the word, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you. And you begin to say, man, this is wonderful. You begin to sense the power of God in your life. As you do the word, as it enables you to do things. Faith is strengthened by declaring the word. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Christianity in particular is never a private business. Christians are talking all the time. They're always big mouthing about Jesus and about God and hallelujah and praise the Lord. Because that's what we do. It's the confession of our faith. We believe in our hearts, but we declare with our mouths, hey, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And whenever we can, we confess our faith. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, author and finisher of our faith. Hang on, wait, I'm, I'm going ahead of myself, declaring the word. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Never stop confessing your hope. Never stop declaring your faith in Jesus. Verbalize it. What you believe, verbalize it. Faith is built by praying in the Spirit. Jude 1.20 But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. There's something powerful about praying the Holy Spirit. Pray Holy Spirit-inspired prayers. Pray in tongues. It, 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 it does just something to you. As, you. as you come before God, say, Holy Spirit, help me to pray. Lead me in prayer. And then as, as He brings things to you, you just pray about them. You pray for this and you pray for that. And you think about this. And let the Holy Spirit, as you pray, something is happening inside of you. And then when you've run out of words to say in English, Afrikaans, or your mother language, just go into tongues. And continue praying. And the Holy Spirit prays through you in an unknown language. But He's connecting you with God. And He's praying through you. And that also bolds up your faith. After a time of prayer, you come out, man, you're feeling strong, you're feeling edified, you're feeling bolt up because it touches your whole being. So bold yourself up in faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind that it is Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Although we do these things, behind it all is Jesus. As we begin to do what the word says, Jesus is there by the power of the Holy Spirit, working in us, working in us, working in us. But if we don't do these things, then we don't give him anything to use. You see, we need to be in his will for him to bring about these things in our lives. How is faith applied? Well, we've already seen some ways in which faith is applied because we apply faith to develop faith, isn't it? And to grow in faith. And so we do what we hear. We do the word. Amen. We confess what we believe. The Bible says that faith works and it works by love in Galatians 5, 6. So as we exercise our faith, 
our motivation has to be love. If I'm praying for somebody, if I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, what's my motivation? Love. Nothing else. It can't be anger. It can't be trying to impress God, trying to impress the pastor, trying to impress people. Uh -uh. It's got to be love. Love for God and love for people. Amen? That's the motivation. And faith is expressed as an action. I'm going to read two verses now. There's been a lot of debate about these verses. But listen to this. James 2.26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And then Titus 3.8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And people have said, nah, but hang on. Do you get saved by works or do you get saved by faith? Now listen, guys. Salvation is a work of grace. It's by faith and faith alone. Jesus paid the price. There is no work that you can do that will save you. Okay? Nothing. But here's the thing. Once you come to Jesus, you don't do works to impress God. You don't do works to gain salvation. You don't works, do works to show others that you have faith. The works you do are an overflow of your faith. You do it out of gratitude to God. You do it out of love for others. You do it out of love for God. You do it because the nature of God begins to become your nature. And God is a giver. God works. He does things. Okay? God initiates things and he touches lives. And as you become part of God, you begin to do things. Not to impress anybody. Not to get more brownie points in heaven. No, no, no. You're you're saved. You're, You're secure. But out of love for God, you seek to do good. And you begin to adjust your life. As as you learn more from God, you begin to behave more like Jesus. You know, look, you still make mistakes. You always make mistakes. But as time goes on, you learn to become faithful. You learn to speak the truth. You don't steal anymore. You don't go around swearing and insulting people and, and, and making people uncomfortable around you. You, you. you do your work diligently. You do your work in school, your homework. You don't need the teachers always chasing you because it's the right thing to do. And, and, and you, you, uh, you, you're a kind boss and you're a good worker. Things begin to change. With some of us, it takes a little bit longer than others, but things begin to change. And you begin to do good works, not to impress God but because you love God. Amen. Now, as we close, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, as Jesus walked the earth like a man. And listen, when Jesus walked the earth, he left his divinity behind. He walked on earth like, like us. He was hungry, he was thirsty, he got tired, he got irritated. But he put his confidence in God the Father. And he lived his life by confidence in God. He lived his life by faith. And he had to endure stuff. He had to put up with stuff. All right? And he had confidence that his work on earth mattered. That his death would matter. Would bring salvation up of mankind. And so he endured the cross. He endured the shame. 
Setbacks and difficulties came, but he just pressed on. And he is an example. He died. He rose again. To prove to us that everything he said is true. To prove to us the promises all there from the Old Testament are true. They are yes and amen. And to show to us that what is written is truly the word of God. Now it's our time. Now you and I, we are here. We are walking the earth now. Amen. And we have some difficulties. Some, we have to carry our cross like Jesus said. We have some difficulties. Sometimes because of the word of God, we have to endure and put up with a bit of shame and a bit of ridicule. Sometimes because of our principles, we might miss out on some worldly benefits. Hello? But if we have faith, we are confident that the word of God is true. That there is something on the other side. Just like just believe there is something better on the other side. And just like Jesus, we are confident that there is something far better. In God's presence. And so we hold on to our faith in Jesus. And we continue to do his will. Listen. Applying your faith is not always easy nor popular. But applying your faith always brings life. It brings peace with God. It brings the joy of the Lord inside. It gives you strength to carry on. So be determined to grow in the faith. Align your life to God's word to maintain a strong, healthy faith. And above all, remember, listen, remember. I said in the beginning, we sang, no, sometimes we have strong faith, sometimes we have weak faith. But listen, what is important, listen carefully, what is important is not the size of your faith. Listen carefully. What's important is not the size of your faith, but the size of the God in whom you put your faith in. And the God of the Bible, he's huge. He's the creator of this universe, which scientists can't see the end of. And the creator is much bigger than the creation. Hello. And you put your faith in this God. He can do great things in your life. Faith, even the size of a mustard seed, will still do wonders when that faith is placed in the God of the Bible, in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, on the Word of God, which is the revelation of God to us. Amen? Next week, we're going to look more deeply into the Word of God. I mean, we're putting our faith in this book. All right? So again, look more deeply into the word of God. Why we are so confident that the Bible is truly the word of God and not just a creation of man. Guys, you cannot miss it. You've got to be here next week. Amen? All right? But let's understand this. Faith. That confidence that God can be trusted. I want to close with a little story. True story. Um, back in 19... No, 1850. 1859. How many of you were born in 1859? Nobody. <laughs> You're right. Back in 1859. <laughs> You're looking so young. Anyway, <clears throat> 1859. For the first time in history, a man laid a rope across the Niagara Falls between the United States and Canada. He laid a rope there and he walked on that tightrope for the first time in history. People thought, man, this guy's going to kill himself. Now, he was a, a, a stuntman. He, he was a rope walker. His name was Charles Blondin, Frenchman. And he was the first man to walk on a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. He didn't do it once. He did it a few times. 
First, he just walked across it. And, and thousands of people were there. And they clapped and they cheered. Then he did it again. And he did it again. This guy, he walked, once he walked with a blindfold, once he pushed a little stove all the way to the middle, and he fried an egg and ate it and then carried on. Once he walked on it on stilts. And people were like, wow. And so once he took a wheelbarrow <laughs> and he crossed from one side to the other, pushing a wheelbarrow. Okay? When he got to the other side, the people cheered and so on. And he says, guys, how many of you believe I can take this wheelbarrow and push it all the way back again? What do you think the crowd said? Yes, we believe you can do it, guy. And they cheered and they cheered and they cheered. And he says, I want a volunteer to climb in the wheelbarrow, please. Silent. Yeah, that's the reaction they got. Everybody kind of gave one step back just in case. Nobody wanted to climb in that wheelbarrow. Did they have faith in Blondine? No. You see, and that's, and that's many people today. Do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe, oh, Jesus, yeah, great guy. Da, 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 da. If you commit your life to him, um, <laughs> climbing the wheelbarrow of faith. Uh, faith means you climb in the wheelbarrow and you trust Jesus to take you across. Actually, a while later, Blondine's manager, who knew him well, he volunteered. He didn't climb on the wheelbarrow, he climbed on his back. He was strapped to his back. And Blondine crossed the rope again with his manager on his back. When they got about halfway, to, near, near the middle, it's the most dangerous part of that, that um, crossing. Blondine stopped, and he talked to his friend. His friend was Harry Colcord. He turned to Harry, and, well, not to him, he spoke to Harry, and he says, Harry, right now, you are no longer Colcord. Now you are a Blondine. You are Blondine now. Until I clear this place, be part of me. Mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balance in yourself. If you do, we shall both go down to our death. Harry trusted his friend. The wisdom and experience of his friend. He went along. He went along. And they both crossed safely and got to the other side. And that's what God asks of us. Become one with me. You're not the silver, pinar, panakuk, whatever it is. You know? Now you are mine. You are with me. You have a divine nature in you. Sway with me. Swing with me. Go with me. And with me, we'll get to the other side safely. May the Lord bless you as you grow in your faith. Amen. Let's stand up. Praise God. Let's stand up in closing prayer. Oh, Father. As we have already said this morning in, in worship, Lord, sometimes our flesh is weak, but Lord, your spirit continues to be strong in us. Thank you for that truth. Father, we believe. We are confident that you can be trusted, that your word is true. And we do not believe in our feelings, in our thoughts. We trust your thoughts. We trust your word, Father. And I pray for us as a congregation. I pray for everyone listening to this message. Lord, 
Enable us more and more to have more and more confidence in your word, to live by your word, to embrace your promises and live by them, my God, to become one with you. And that in this crazy world that we live in, may we be so close to you that we can be lights in this world, Father. Beacons of hope in this world because of our faith in you. Being true disciples of Jesus, Lord God. Being doers of the word and not hearers only. Not behaving and doing like everybody else has in this world, but doing it according to you. Following you, your principles, your values, Lord God, your ways. Bringing life, not just to ourselves, but to those around us, to our families, to our friends, to our institutions, our schools, our places of work, our communities. Father, use us these days, Lord, to bring life and health and healing to others through our faith in you. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us as we continue to live day by day, to walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Enjoy your Sunday. See you next week. Amen.